Games rated E to M. Welcome to Nintendo Power Podcast. This episode, we'll talk with the creators of Celeste about their hit Nintendo Switch platformer, plus more with our panel. My name is Chris Slate. As I said, this episode, we're going to talk to Matt Thorson and Noel Berry about their indie platforming game Celeste, which, if you love the really challenging parts of Super Mario games, or even games like Super Meat Boy, then you really need to check this game out. It released about a month ago and got rave reviews and went straight to number one on the Nintendo eShop's bestsellers list. I've been playing it pretty much nonstop, even though it tends to kick my butt a lot. We'll also cover the usual ground with pros picks, the Warp Zone game quiz, player's pulse, and more. Joining me for this episode are two members of the Treehouse, Reiko Ninomiya, who is the director of localization. Hi, Reiko. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. And Tim O'Leary, the senior manager of localization. Hi, Chris. Thanks. Welcome to the show, Tim. All right, we've got a lot to get to, so let's get started. First up is Pro's Picks. Now, this is usually where we talk about games that we're currently playing, but since we're coming up on March 3rd, which will be the first anniversary of the release of Nintendo Switch, I thought it might be fun to take a look back at the games that we played the most during that first year, the games that really defined Nintendo Switch for us in its first year. So, Reiko, I'd like to start with you. What were the games that really just captivated you on Nintendo Switch this year? Uh, okay, so I think like many people out there, um, I dove right into uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, um, spent many, many hours playing that one, um, started to dip my toe into DLC, and then actually got caught up in Super Mario Odyssey. So then that kind of took my attention uh, for a bit. Um, so I'm still enjoying both of those, still working my way through. Um, and then... Uh, one that I've been playing with my daughter, which is one of my favorite things, one, one, of, fav- one of my favorite ways to enjoy playing games is uh, playing with my kids. Um, but she and I have been playing Stardew Valley together. She's like a total expert in that game. Um, but yeah, I've spent quite a few hours churning away on those three games. But over the weekend, um, I played some Owlboy and also played some Faye. I just got a Owlboy myself, but I've only just started. Have you played it very far? What do you think so far? I've played it for a couple hours. I'm really enjoying it. I think the story is really cute. The characters are really sweet. Um, it levels up at a certain point. It ramps up. But uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's a good time. Cool. Well, Tim, how about you? What were the games that really just dominated your time in that first year? You know, when you were when Reiko was giving her sort of a run through of it, I was trying to you know rack my brain to think of exactly what I played the most of. And I think, like most people, of course, uh, Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild has by far dominated my my playtime. Um, but you know, I've sort of split my time between work um, and, and at home. And when I'm at work, you know, I have to play everything. Not have to. I get to play everything. It's one of the great joys of this job. But I want at home. I, I like to play also with with my son or watch my son play or he watches me play. And we've been doing a lot of Splatoon two. You know, every time every weekend when there's a Splatfest, sometimes we're on the same side, sometimes we're not. Um, and if you know he is when he chooses incorrectly, I just try to you know not let him play. Of course, because he's so <laughs> much better than I am. He automatically puts my team at a disadvantage. Um, but, yeah, so I would say definitely The Legend of Zelda, Splatoon 2. Obviously, played a lot of Mario Kart. Um, we uh, played Super Mario Odyssey, of course, 
And lately, since we're talking about stuff that we've just started, uh, over the weekend I actually started playing uh, Night in the Woods. Hmm. And I'm only a couple hours in, but it's it's got such style. It's a, it's a really fun game to play. And it made me laugh out loud a lot. And uh, again, I sat on the couch and my son sat next to me and was reading the dialogue out loud. And so it was, it was a good experience. I think that's one of the things that overall that really defined Nintendo Switch for me so far is, is, and you can see it as we talk about the games we've been spending the most time with, this mix of like huge Nintendo franchises, but also these um, smaller um, indie games or games that maybe, you know, don't have the biggest brand name, but, you know, are, are soaking up in a lot of cases just as much time as, as, you know, for example, like a Super Mario Odyssey, which I've I put a ton of time into, but you look at some of these other games that I've been playing, uh, some of these indie titles like Shovel Knight again, even though I've had it on other platforms, and um, and now I'm um, Celeste, uh, and it that really racks it up too. And so I feel like the Nintendo Switch is this perfect mix of, of all those different types of games. Oh, I completely agree. And I, one thing I know that in my travel, when I do you know undock it and take it with me, I find myself gravitating towards things that I can play quickly and uh, you know that I don't have to sink into for a couple hours. So I've also been playing a lot of Golf Story. Mm. Uh, that game is just, just a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, I uh, I played that one all the way through. Um, and I, you know, thinking about this uh, this today, I, I actually looked at my play data on my profile page on my Nintendo Switch and and saw that uh, for Golf Story, I, I played it for about 20 hours. And, and Rekha, you mentioned Stardew Valley. I've played mm-hmm. that for about 10 hours, which for that game really isn't, that's just getting started. No, I'm like 60 hours into that wow. one at this point. And so then for me, my, my, my top games, again, judging by this play data here, was, um, was The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Again, no big surprise there. Over 170 hours for me, and I still have plenty of shrines to find, lots more to do. Uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, over 70 hours, which if you add that to how much I played it on Wii U, I've probably played that game for like versions of it for like 250 hours at this point. And um, and then I I did everything you could do in Super Mario Odyssey, and that took me over sixty five hours. So, so um, you know that's a lot for uh, for three games, uh, not yeah, not yeah. to mention all the other ones. That's yeah, a lot no- of weekends. Yeah, I noticed. Um, I've got I've got over a hundred hundred hours, hundred ten hours on um, Breath of the Wild now. And uh, what really kind of changed things for me was the Hero's Path. I was actually uh. really worried um, when that uh, DLC became available to see like what kind of crazy because I feel like you can really take a sneak peek into someone's psyche by looking (laughs) at the path that they take (laughs) and I noticed that when I complete a shrine I tend to run like straight out of the shrine like you know someone crossing the finish line in a race Uh with probably my hands in the air like woo (laughs) and I don't like go behind the shrine so there's like all the unexplored territory (laughs) that I have in the game is like behind the shrine I'm missing so much of that game Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah so that's allowed me to to kind of explore further, kind of a cool thing. Yeah, my uh, my son came home and said, hey, why don't we have the DLC? And I'm like, we do. And he was like, wait, what? And I can't <laughs> get him off it now. So that's all he's been doing. Uh, but watching him play made me realize that I hadn't as, has, I hadn't proceeded as far um, in the production version. You know, I'd played it in the office so much that I turned it back on and he immediately started trash talking me. He's like, "How come you only have four hearts? You haven't, <laughs> what you haven't even you know you're barely off the Great Plateau." Uh, so over the weekend, in addition to Night in the Woods, I actually I got I cleared two of the Divine Beasts, uh, and you know I think I'm up to six hearts now. And so he's he's given me a little bit more respect. But yeah, that DLC adds so much to it. Yeah, it absolutely does. One of my favorite things that I've done so far in that game was actually 
with the first DLC pack, got that uh, super maxed out Master Sword, which was really hard to do to go through all those uh, uh, sword challenges. But, uh, you know, I made it by the skin of my teeth, and now it just, like, every time I play the game, makes me want to play it even more. Like, well, I did that. Like, nothing could be harder than that, so surely I've <laughs> got to finish everything else off. Right on. Yeah, I was actually talking with Reiko last week about the, the Lionels and how hard they are to, to, to beat. And I'm watching my son play, and he, you know, casually, you know, uh, jumps back out of the way, gets the flurry attack, you know, takes down a Lionel in, you know, like five minutes. A Blood Moon pops up. He hangs out and waits for the Lionel <laughs> to respawn so that he can beat it again. You know, I see one in the game, and I can't run away fast enough. Um, but I'm looking forward to, you know, maybe one day catching up with him. I know. I see everybody do these great combos and, and, and things on the Lionels. And I'm still the chicken who just always makes sure I, that I have plenty of ancient arrows yeah. stocked up <laughs> for those one-hit kills. Same, same. Uh, Man, I just take photos and leave. <laughs> I think it was some blurry photos of, like, me almost about to be killed by several Lionels. <laughs> Even just snapping a shot of them is, is, is tricky. Now I'd like to move on to Warp Zone, which is, um, if you don't know, it's a, it's a quiz where I give you a few hints, and then we see if you can guess some games that came out for Nintendo systems 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And, um, you know, I warned um, the panel last episode that, uh, that that particular installment of the quiz was going to be really tough. And I'm sorry to say, I think this one's even tougher. So, oh, gosh. <laughs> so best of luck. There aren't a lot of games that came out in the month of February to look back on. So uh, we'll do our best here. Okay, we're going to start with 10 years ago. This is February of 2008. And here are the clues. Square Enix put a new twist on a beloved franchise with a first-person action RPG for Wii in which the player swung their Wii remote controller to slash slimes with a sword. Any guesses? No. <laughs> That's terrible. Can you repeat the last clue? They, 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 they slashed... Slimes. Yeah, so slimes. Dragon Quest. There you go. Oh, slimes. I thought he said lines. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Slash lines. That's oh, a so totally Dragon different Dragon Quest. Game. I got us halfway there, Tim. It's all new. Oh, so I'm looking <laughs> for a Dragon Quest game where you where you actually swing your Wii remote like a sword. It's more of a uh, more of a uh, deep cuts uh, title in the uh, Dragon Quest series. I'll just go ahead and say it. It's Dragon Quest Swords: The Masked Queen and the Tower of Mirrors. Oh my! So again, that's a little bit of an advanced uh, level there. Yeah. All right. Sorry. If it gets harder from here out, we we may have to like cut this whole section. <laughs> I think it I think the next one might be a little harder. I apologize. But don't oh, worry. No. I think we've all we've all got a shot before it ends. Twenty years ago, February of nineteen ninety eight, uh, Konami published a game for Nintendo sixty four that was a return to the sport they had visited over a decade earlier with double dribble. Now unlike double dribble, this game had polygonal graphics and real players. Any guesses as to what this Konami double dribble-ish basketball for game for N64 could have been? Triple dribble? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's basketball. That's as close as I was going to get. Right. No, um, this one was uh, NBA in the zone 98, which oh is a tough we one. We are clearly not in the zone That's right, right now. No, yeah. no. As Would far you, out of the zone as you can yeah. get. Would you guys have heard of Snowboard Kids for N64? The name, yes. Oh, okay. I didn't play it, but yes. That also came out in February of that year, so maybe we should have gone with that one instead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. February of 1998, this is 30 years ago, Konami published a classic side-scrolling action game for the NES in which two shirtless soldiers used an array of weapons and an iconic cheat code 
to defeat an alien invasion led by the evil Red Falcon. Any guesses on this one? I'm going to let Rico go. <laughs> Why are you Tim this, and I are this, looking this at contra? each other for the answer. <laughs> That's right. It's Contra. Well done. Hey, finally. See, I'm, I'm really old. You have to go way back to, <laughs> to actually get anything that I've Yeah, I can't uh, I've, claim I've that that was before my time. That was well. I should have known. It's you tough. Like in even elementary school, and I was actually living in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, even if you remember these games from that long ago. It's to just drudge something up from after thirty years is uh, is tricky. I like to pre- happened. I like to pre- pretend that I knew all of these games, but uh, actually, most of them I wouldn't have unless I'd looked them up. So, <laughs> I think for that one, that was uh, that was Walden. You got the most important game. Now we're going to move on to Player's Pulse. Now this is where we. Um, answer a selection of uh, questions from the listeners. And we're going to start with Curtis, who asks, quite simply, what is your favorite Nintendo game of all time? It's an easy question, but I think very hard to answer. That is a very hard question. Boy, you know, it's it's difficult. I have to maybe divide it between pre-Nintendo employment <laughs> and post-Nintendo employment. Okay. I think the games that I played the most before I before I started working here was uh, Mario Kart on Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Mm, the original. Um, yeah, and the battle mode racing, you know, just popping balloons, playing with my friends. That was probably the game I sunk the most hours into. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of equates to favorite at that point. Um, after, after starting work here, it's, it's really hard because we see games change so much from when we, when they first come into us to the final production version, and they all have a bit of a special place, I think, for us. Um, just to name a couple that really stand out are, we'll go back to Mario Kart, Mario Kart Double Dash. Mm. Um, I, I absolutely love that game. I, I love the two player, or the two, the two drivers, I guess one driver you switch out. Anyway, to be able to switch and grab another item was fantastic, and I love those courses. Um, The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker and the first Animal Crossing for GameCube, I think are probably Mm. right up there. Uh, I think mainly because the localization experience was just tremendous on both of those titles. Yeah, we just had a great time working on them. Yeah, I uh, would say my favorite game of all time is The Legend of Zelda, the original. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, the reason being, and this is such a goofy reason to really like a game, um, but it's my reason, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> it's the first game that, I have an older sister, and it was the first game that I can get further than her at. <laughs> Just, like such a stupid reason. <laughs> That's a great um, reason. Yeah, that is. I think so. Um, but yeah, so that would be probably my favorite game of all time. Um, well, you know, we also played together and lots of good memories playing together um, that game. But like, you know, similar to what Tim was saying, um, I certainly have, you know, games that I they're very near and dear to me since working at Nintendo. Um, but because Tim's here with me, I'm going to say uh, Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. <laughs> and this too, kind of a silly, goofy reason. Um, but we have these inten- like internal tournaments. We haven't had one recently, but we used to do you know these internal tournaments. And so Tim and I actually represented the treehouse at one of the tournaments. I don't know if you remember this. I know that we did for Double Dash. We did for Double Dash, but I feel like we did as well. Weren't we on the we same might have team been for Jungle Beat? Jungle Beat, and then we also did you know just Donkey Konga. Yes, we did Donkey. Oh uh, yeah, Donkey Konga. Yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. So I just remember like 
jungle beat, like, you know, where you would just have to hit the bongos really, really fast and just collect as many bananas as you could. I oh remember practicing in the treehouse and like sitting on the floor with these, you know, with the drums and like just sweating and like having these competitions to see who could grab the most bananas. <laughs> it was just good fun, just a good time. That so lots game of good is, is criminally underrated. It, it really is fantastic. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. For myself, I'd have to say, um, uh, it's a, it's an impossible question to answer for sure, but I, I I settled on Super Mario World as my general answer years yep. and years ago, and I've yep. kind of stuck with it. Although if I really thought about it, like honestly, I feel like Super Mario Odyssey might now be my favorite Super Mario game. But uh, I think maybe in terms of all-time favorite, I have to let that game uh, kind of have to marinate on that a little bit more for a couple more years before I can really swap that out with Super Mario World. I, it, I mean, we've been on it. We've been on really lucky. I think and we've had a really good run in the last couple of years of some fantastic games. But I think you're right. They need to, you know, age a little bit to make sure they they stand up. Yeah, it's always tough. And you guys touched on this a little bit too. With you know, it's a, a part of of how you remember a game and how you kind of uh, you know classify it on that top list is is the experience you had when you first played it or or, or yeah. experiences you had with it later on. And so you know, are you are you kind of comparing you know your uh, you know, nostalgia versus, you know, more ob- objectivity of like a game's feature set. It's oh, you can really, you know, you could really make that list a, a million different ways. I have so many games that would not fall in anyone else's top 10 or top five just because of the way that I enjoyed them. Not necessarily because they're great games by any sort of metric that, you know, the universe is put in place to measure games. Mm-hmm. Um, it is all about the feelings that they bring back, those memories that they dredge up. Not dredge is, sounds negative. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. All right, well, let's move on to the next letter. This comes from Zachary. Um, he asks, if you could take a vacation inside of a game, which game would you choose and why? All right, another goofy answer from me. Um, but I think this will make sense to people who, who kind of know me and um, know what I'm interested in. Um, I'm going to say Luigi's Mansion. Um, <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> because I like kind of spooky, like growing up, um, spooky. I like spooky things. So, uh, yeah, Luigi's Mansion I think would be a really fun place for me to vacation. Not that I'm, like, super courageous and would, like, be the first one to go into the rooms. I would definitely be, like, pushing Luigi into the room first to go check <laughs> it out before, you know, following behind him. But And this uh, explains so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you could get a great discount on that travel package. Yeah, sure. You know, I'm sure EGAD would cut me some kind of deal <laughs> or something. But if he gave me that the uh, the poltergust, he'd get a look. Um, you don't you don't walk up and you know hand a guest a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I've, of course I want to say something. You know, like I want to go to Hyrule, but you know I'm not. That's just dumb. I die in like the first <laughs> five minutes, and it would be awful. Uh, there's, uh, you know, this question for me. I think I'd have to go to Wii Sports Resort. Because Woohoo Island would be just the best place. You can go wakeboarding. You can go canoeing. You can play golf, frisbee golf. I mean, it's it's fantastic. There's and that makes sense because Tim is one of the most athletic and active people that I know. He active, does not yes. Stop. Athletic, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I it would be wonderful. That would be the best place I think ever to take a vacation. Well, I got to say that would be my new favorite answer. But since I didn't think of it before you, I'm going to give you uh, <laughs> the one I'd written down, which is um, Al Delfino in Super Mario Sunshine. Well, there you go. I just yeah. love the music. I love the little the little hub area in the town. And, uh, you know, and I guess in video games or in real life, my 
favorite vacation spots tend to be on the more tropical side. So if it wasn't Al Delfino, it'd probably be Seaside Kingdom and Super Mario Odyssey, or if I'm feeling nostalgic, maybe Star Tropics on the NES. Nice, nice. And all that fruit, all those vendors in uh, in on Isle Delfino, in the courtyard, are just look fantastic. They're all that fruit. I just want to eat it. Oh yeah. Plus, you can just run around shooting, you know, uh, uh, your water pack at everyone and just see what their reaction is. <laughs> there you go. All right, Dave asks, what opening sequence or lead-in to a title screen of an NES or Super NES era game gives you the most nostalgic feels? Personally, mine are Metroid on NES and Secret of Mana on Super NES. Nice. Hmm. And now when I say personally, that was actually Dave, not uh, not me. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Good job, Dave. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was like, nice, good job, Chris. <laughs> well, he had the best answer right away. Those are good yeah. choices. You know, I'm, I have to go back to Mario Kart. I think uh, Mario Kart, the original, you know, watching the racers come in from left to right and every once in a while somebody will shoot a shell or somebody will drop a banana and they'll spin out and the music is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. And the first Zelda is good, though, too. Mm-hmm. That theme music is so iconic. Right on. Um, I gave this one some thought. Um while Tim was talking there. (laughs) 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 Um, But actually some theme music popped into my head, Donkey Kong Country, the opening sequence there with Cranky Kong. And he's like, I think he's got like that, what is it called? Like a gramophone or? Gramophone, is that what those are called? I don't even know. And he's like cranking it. Uh And all of a sudden Donkey Kong like pounces on him. Oh yeah. Do you remember that? And he like, I think he does like this goofy dance. Oh yeah. I have to go back and watch it after this. But yeah, so that, probably is one of my favorite um, lead-ins. Um, and the reason that really stuck with me is I used to play that in college. It came out when I was in college and my friends and I would go out at night and we'd all come back, you know, go back to, you know, come back to my house. And, you know, I had a, I think it was Super Nintendo and, you know, we'd plug it in and like people would like start falling asleep. And then I'd be like the last one just playing Donkey Kong Country by myself in the wee hours. Cause I couldn't really sleep. I was a total night owl in college, but yeah, I just remember that music just takes me back to, <laughs> To those times, good times. Makes me think of the DK rap too from Donkey Kong 64, which no <laughs> would probably be a pretty funny opening as well. I'll have to check that one out too. Uh, for, for me, I guess I would say um, uh, for NES, uh, I think uh, Ninja Gaiden, because mm-hmm. back then, you know, um, I don't know if like younger generations of gamers realized but back then you didn't really have these big cinematic scenes in games and Ninja Gaiden was the first one I played where um, you had that and it opens with this this animated scene of like these two ninjas facing off under the 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 night sky and then they kind of run toward each other and leap up and kind of clash in front of the moon it was just so cinematic and it started telling a legitimate story and uh, and I wasn't expecting that and it it just made the game as fun as the, the action of the game was it made the game so much cooler and so that always sticks out in my mind, too. And then uh, my second, my runner-up was actually going to be The Legend of Zelda, like I think you mentioned, Tim. Uh, I love how uh, when, when it scrolls up before the title screen, it shows you all of the little items and weapons you can get in the game. Yeah. So I, even when I was, like, midway through the game, I would sometimes, like, save the game and, and go back and look at that and kind of pick out the little items I hadn't found yet and try to figure out where they were hiding. That game was so hard. It was so good, though. Yeah. <laughs> It was a game you really needed uh, like a lot of tips for, but yeah. back then you couldn't. There wasn't the internet, so you couldn't just go find out. So you really had to go to like school or work the next day and like talk to your friends and kind of uh, put your heads together. Yep. All right. Uh, last up is Michael, who asks. Um, so we've heard what it's like working for Nintendo. We actually spoke about that last episode. 
But how did you get there? Any tips for someone who wants to work for Nintendo? I'm just going to jump in straight away and say um, that uh, probably you know the best way is simply to go to Nintendo.com in the corporate info section and look at the job listings because that's actually how I found uh, the, the the job that I currently have. I'd started um, uh, you know I was uh, back on Nintendo Power Magazine for a few years, but that was when it was actually published by a different company in partnership with Nintendo. So. You know, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I actually um, uh, uh, landed here at Nintendo itself. So, um, so how did you guys kind of get started here, and, and how did that that journey go once you got here? I I, I grew up in Seattle, um, but um, I actually moved away uh, after college. I actually moved to Japan. Um, the reason I went to Japan is because uh, I actually minored in Japanese in university because um, I knew I wanted to work and use my Japanese, but I also knew that the Japanese I was speaking at home is probably not the Japanese that you necessarily would use mm. in a professional environment. <laughs> um, so I wanted to make sure that I had at least, you know, a foundational understanding of, you know, professional Japanese. Uh, but then, you know, I was like, hey, why don't I, I'm just going to move to Japan, see what happens. Um, and so I did. I worked there for a few years. Um, and then I came back. I did not work at Nintendo, though. Uh, but I took. I was able to leverage that experience um, in applying at Nintendo. Um, I knew that Nintendo was here. I think a lot of people don't know, even in the Seattle area, that Redmond, or it's located in Redmond. Um, and always headquarters are located in Redmond. Um, but I knew that was a thing, an option potentially for me. So I submitted an application. Uh, the thing is, I did not get hired for that position. Hmm. Um, Bill Trinan and Tim O'Leary were part of that interview <laughs> process, and they decided not to bring me on. Look, it's all Bill's fault. I, I was like, <laughs> hire her today. But, but Sorry, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't give up. I, I kept my eye on um, you know the openings list and. Um, you know, I, I watched to see if there were any other potential opportunities for me. Um, nothing came up, but I was really lucky in that they called me. Um, a position opened up that they thought I would be better suited for. Um, so you know, I came in again for another interview, and that was 15, 16 years ago now. So mm-hmm. my recommendation would be to not give up. Yeah, and <laughs> so we, we brought Reiko in in the, in the new position, not the, not the original position. And then after a while, we're like, actually, you know that position that she didn't get? She's actually perfect for that, and so we, she switched to that job anyway. <laughs> um, so I think that that tenacity, uh, you know, proved out. Yeah, it's been a, obviously a great fit uh, for myself. You know, sort of similar. I didn't grow up speaking Japanese, but um, I did study some Japanese in college. Uh, moved to Japan directly after school. Uh, I was there a long time, almost eight years. Um, mm. Came back to the Seattle area because I had friends here. I had no idea Nintendo was even located here. Um, answered an ad in a newspaper for a job, which I did not get hired for. Uh, luckily, <laughs> one of the folks pattern. that yeah. <laughs> I interviewed with uh, said, you know, maybe not this job, but very similar, you know, maybe somewhere else. And at that time, there was a, an opening in our legal department. Uh, they needed a bilingual there. I had no experience or background in legal, but uh, I did end up uh, getting hired in legal, worked there for about a year. And then one day, um, I was introduced to Bill Trinan. Bill and I went to the same university, even though I'm a, a couple years older than he is. And he asked if I wanted to uh, translate, localize a game manual. So I got an N64 uh, at my desk with Mario Tennis. I played it for about three days. I localized the manual. And 
then promptly put in my notice at legal and transferred into the treehouse because that <laughs> job was tremendously fun. Um, and I've been there for forever now. Uh, I'm coming up on, boy, 19 years wow. this year, 18 years. So, um, but in terms of like how to get to Nintendo, you know, I think really, you know, whatever job that you are aspiring to, whether it's a job in finance, whether it's a job in marketing, whether it's a job in advertising, um, um, IT support, audio visual support, like the folks who are putting together this podcast for us, if you mm -hmm. are passionate about something and you happen to also love Nintendo, as you said, you know, check out our website and see what jobs are available. And, and then just keep pushing, keep trying. Um, like I said, I was very lucky. I kind of stumbled into this job, but it's been wonderful, uh, as you can see, by almost two decades of being in the building. They've tried to get rid of me, but <laughs> it, it hasn't worked. You're too good at Mario Kart. <laughs> well, actually, I'm the one that they can all beat. So they're like, yeah, keep that guy around. It makes the rest of us feel better. <laughs> Before I let you guys go, uh, I thought I would bring back another section from Nintendo Power Magazine um, called Game Forecast. Um, as you might expect, this is where we look at upcoming games, and I thought I would really quickly run through some of the new releases that are currently scheduled for next month. Um, starting on Nintendo Switch, on February 27th, which is right about the time this podcast should post, we've got Payday 2 from Starbreeze Studios and Overkill Software. Then on February 28th, we've got Bridge Constructor Portal from Head Up Games. On March 1st, we've got Mulaka, which is an action-adventure game from Lienzo. On March 6th, there's Scribblenauts Showdown from WB Games. And on March 16th, Kirby's Star Allies from Nintendo. And on March 20th, Attack on Titan 2 from Koei Tecmo. And then for Nintendo 3DS, um, on March 23rd, we've got Detective Pikachu, uh, published by Nintendo. And on March 27th, The Alliance Alive from Atlas. Now, I see a lot of games on that list that I'm interested in, but what jumps out the most to you two? Um, I'm going to have to get on that Kirby game because it's a mm -hmm. multiplayer game. Um, again, it's a great one to play with the family. Uh, so that's one that I'm sure I'll end up picking up and playing with my kids. Um, Payday 2 also. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't mention this earlier, but another reason I like playing handheld games is because when you've got little ones around <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's nice to have you know something that you can play in the privacy of your own eyeballs um so i have been dipping my toe into uh some of those you know more adult you know uh, darker titles um, mm -hmm. as well as a result of of having the nintendo switch at my disposal that's really funny because you know i i you know, I'm, I have a my kids are a bit older, so we can play. I can play pretty much whatever I want to play, and and sometimes, like I said, we just like to sit. Our multiplayer is watching the other ones play. <laughs> so, but the one that kind of pops out at me that I'm really excited about is actually Detective Pikachu. I've heard such good things about this. It sounds like it's utterly charming, and uh, so uh, I'm gonna go against uh, I think maybe Typecast and and choose that as the game I'm looking forward to right at the moment. Great. Uh, I'm interested in that one, too, as well as Kirby Star Allies. I was kind of a latecomer to the Kirby series, but I really enjoyed Triple Deluxe. And then um, um, and then Kirby Planet Robobot was probably yeah. my favorite. So you, you can't go wrong with Kirby. Kirby is always fun. In, mm -hmm. in, I've worked on several different Kirby titles. I was lucky enough to work on uh, you know, Kirby Air Ride and Kirby Squeak Squad. And they're just, you I mean, you just pick them up and you play them. You know what's going on. And it's always, always a good time. So, yeah, Star Allies is going to be fun. By the way, I, I liked your question the last um, episode about 
what 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 does Kirby feel like? What is, what is Kirby made of? <laughs> right. I, I can't. Yeah. What is what is he made of? What does he feel like? Yeah. We had a bunch of uh, unusual answers, I suppose, to that one. Yeah, I like the cake pop answer. Yeah. I'm like, oh, aromatherapeutic too. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> He's just made of pure joy. Yeah. What is what does joy feel like? Soft and soft him? and warm. I don't know. Joy no, tastes. Let's like, move on. Joy tastes like a cake pop. So that brings us right <laughs> yeah. back around. There you go. go. (laughs) Well, next up is my interview with the creators of Celeste. So, Reiko and Tim, I'm going to let you go, and you can get back to all your top secret business at the Treehouse. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. It's been a great time. This is fun. Nintendo systems and platforming games go hand in hand, and one of the newest and most notable platformers is Celeste for Nintendo Switch. We're now joined by the game's creators, Matt Thorson and Noel Berry. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, I wanted to start off by talking about the incredible response that this game has seen. I mean, it went straight to number one in Nintendo eShop, and on Metacritic.com, it's like the third highest rated Nintendo Switch game, only behind The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey. <laughs> so what have, what have what do you guys thought about the response of this game, and, and maybe what about it has surprised you? Uh, yeah, it's been incredible. Uh, we try not to put too much, like, stock into review scores, but at the same time, it's pretty cool to see <laughs> the Metacritic <laughs> thing you talked about. Um, yeah, the best has just been, like, the amount of players, like, messaging us and, like, tweeting about the game and, like, talking about their experience with it and what it meant to them and stuff. And it's just been really incredible to see that. Now, how did the uh, the game get started? I mean, obviously, you've worked on previous games. A lot of people would know you from Towerfall. Hmm. Um, but what were the particular, or what was the particular inspiration for Celeste, or maybe the goals that you had in, in creating that game? Well, originally, we had uh, we wanted to just make a small game together just for fun. Um, a few, It was almost two years ago. Uh, we just wanted to make something in a few days uh, really quickly, some kind of platformer about climbing a mountain. Um, so we kind of prototyped it out in, I think, just like four or five days. Yeah. And from there it really grew. Yeah, it was just like a really small. We just wanted <laughs> we wanted to make something really small. <laughs> so we started Celeste and it ended up being this two year project. Uh <laughs> kind of grew like way beyond what we thought it would be. And uh yeah, the theme of like climbing a mountain just sort of just sort of came to us as like an easy thing to make a small game about. And then as we like expanded it into a bigger game, we found all these you know different elements of what climbing a mountain could mean and all these different ways to work with it. Yeah, our original prototype name was just uh, was just Everest because we just knew it was about climbing a mountain and overcoming that. And we didn't have like yeah a ton of direction at the start. And that's that uh, kind of the first part of, or the, maybe the first version of the game that you started with. Is that what ended up being the kind of the eight bit version of the game yeah. within the game in the Pico Eight game? Yep, totally. And it's actually, you can play the Pico 8 game as well online for free. Um, and you have, like, the whole time we were making the game, it's been online for free as well. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people think we made that just to include it in the game, but that's the original prototype, actually. Yeah, oh, wow. and P- Pico 8 is actually, like, like a tool you can use to make games in. So people want to make their own games, uh, you know, of the same kind of size that that arcade Celeste is. They can, like, 100% go online and just do that. Um, the tool is just called Pico 8. So from a gameplay perspective, um, what made you settle on the, I mean, you have a relatively small move set in the game that mm-hmm. you are then kind of encouraged to really make use of in, in a lot of different ways. So how do you land on one jump and then a midair dash and, and then the climbing mechanic? Yeah, it's really based on bouldering, like real life rock climbing. Um, and it was just trying to find like 
the most minimal possible move set that could sort of express the same thing, the same feelings I get when I'm bouldering. Um, yeah, and so the there's a lot of like resource management with the the climbing stamina and then the air dash, and that kind of reminds me of rock climbing in a way how you're trying to manage your like different grip strengths and your sort of endurance as you're on the wall <laughs> is that something you do bouldering yeah i've kind of fallen off it uh during well no pun intended, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> i kind of kind of dropped off <laughs> the, the wall there uh while we were developing the game um the last few months were pretty intensive yeah we crunched pretty hard, so unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I want to get back into it pretty soon, though. And how did you land on pixel art for the game? I know that that seems to be popular among a lot of indie developers, and myself being a retro game fan, I love it. But mm-hmm. what was it? I would imagine, I'd kind of compare this aesthetic more, I guess, towards 16-bit feel. Yeah. I mean, it's something we're really comfortable with. It's something we really like. We like, we like the visual style of pixel art a lot, just as an art style. Um, it's something we really like. And then it's something also that our whole team is just comfortable in working with and also excels in, I think. Um, yeah. Everyone on the team has made you know, quite a number of pixel art games, and it's something that we, we thought we could do uh, really well, um, specifically for this game too, especially a game about like, you know, fairly precision platforming. Yeah, and that's another thing. Is like with a game where it's so precise and like you need to be clear where the hitboxes are and stuff, pixel art's really good for that kind of game because everything's mm. kind of blocky by nature. There's also a sort of, you know, anytime you don't have hyper-realistic graphics, I feel like you have a little bit more of an impressionistic feel, which mm-hmm. maybe kind of maybe I'm drawing um, things here that you didn't necessarily in- intend, but it, it seems to me that it, it kind of goes hand in hand with the games, um, with some of the, the feel and the themes of the games, which can be very um, introspective and surprisingly deep. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't want to spoil any of the, the late <laughs> game story or anything like that, but the more I played into the game, the more... I was just really taken aback and surprised by how the the types of conversations that these characters were having. Right. Yeah. That that's an advantage of pixel art in general is that the player fills in the details with the, mm-hmm. when you're low res, right? So you mm-hmm. can kind of imply stuff, and then the player can sort of fill it in. That's like something really great about like almost any like very stylized art style is you can kind of you know yeah. do it with like it doesn't have to be realistic, so you can kind of play with it um, and make it express the things you really want it to express. Yeah. And as the game, as you're like you were saying, as the story gets more sort of abstract and uh, uh, out there thematically, the the art can do more abstract, weird stuff too. And the player doesn't really like if it was super realistic, it would be harder to you know suspend the player's disbelief when that stuff starts happening. And again, I don't want to to get too in into detail on the story and, and ruin things for people, but um, it was just so refreshingly different. I just wanted to ask. You know, did the story component of it, was that something you kind of envisioned early on? Or is that something that mm. once the gameplay was nailed down, then you said, well, we need a story? Because it seems like it was it was so, in, you know, um, such an intrinsic part of the game. Right. Yeah, uh, it, we didn't have it at the start. Um, and it's sort of, we knew at the start that we wanted to make something more introspective. Um, like Towerfall is a very uh, sort of extroverted game and more like, about you know parties and having fun with your friends so we wanted to go the other direction and make something more introspective and uh as we just made the game and sort of you know as you're making a game you're trying to figure out what it's about to you you know like and we just landed on these themes over time and uh it really surprised us actually how big a part of the game the story was and we ended up delaying the game just so we could really you know do the story justice and 
like you said, like intertwine it with all the gameplay properly. We, we even went back and started like kind of reworking earlier parts of the game. Once we, you know, Matt really pushed for the story. And once, once there was a lot more of that there in the game, we kind of went back to earlier chapters of the game and actually like revisited them and reworked them a little bit to make it flow better throughout the whole thing. Because when we first started the concept, it was just like, oh, it's a game about climbing a mountain. And there was, like, there was always that idea of like, that's a hard thing to do. And we want the gameplay to reflect the challenge, you know, that the own player is going through. Um, but it, yeah, as the story developed, it became, yeah, way more of a... Yeah, yeah, it became important to go back and make it work everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, you strike upon how the, the, the actual, the, the really challenging aspect of the gameplay really ties in nicely to the, the challenge that, the, that Madeline is kind of facing in the story. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, like, self-doubt and a lot of, you know, can she do this and characters telling her she can't. And as the player, you feel that. You're like, well, I've, you know, I'm, I'm making it this far. But I feel like one of the things that you balance well in the game is that um, as someone who's played a lot of platforming games over the years, um, it was very challenging, but I never felt like I couldn't do it. I always felt like I just had to keep pressing that much harder. Right. And, and I feel like that's reflected in, in, in the story as well. Oh, that's sweet. That's awesome. That's exactly what we're going for. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's great that it worked for you. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, speaking of the challenge as well, I mean, it's, it's one of those games where you can you can lose a lot of lives on a on a stage, but you appear again instantly, and you've mm-hmm. you've you know learned what not to do. Um, so, but, but one of the things that you added was assists. So you don't necessarily have to be, you know, right off the the you know the first time you play through a level, this perfect advanced uh, skilled platformer. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of adjust it to your level. So, can you talk a little bit about kind of um, you know why you added that functionality as well? So assist mode came in actually fairly late in development. Um, we, we always think about difficulty a lot. Um, like for example, the strawberries in the game are, uh, like a way of adjusting the difficulty as well, but it, you can only make it harder for yourself with those. It's like, if you want more of a challenge, you can go for the strawberries type thing. Uh, and so it became obvious that we had like a big blind spot for like players who just couldn't handle like even the minimum difficulty with no strawberries. Uh, and we saw like the conversation around some other indie games like Cuphead, um, in particular and just like thinking about how you know games that are meant to be hard and how like the argument sort of the debate around them the conversation goes uh we just were thinking about how we could accommodate more players with celeste and um we had a a few members on the team who were really pushing us to like think about that (laughs) i'm really glad we did yeah it was a it was a big discussion at the time because we we had no intention of adding it originally like we were just making a hard platformer um and then it was it was fairly late in development where we thought no this is something that you know we should make it more accessible to people and we should find ways that everyone can enjoy it especially because there's you know so much story and so much stuff that we think is really cool for people to see um letting them play it at their own pace like why would we why would you not do that like yeah and it is kind of a blind spot for me personally because i'm i've been playing platformers my whole life so like I do want it to be accessible for everyone, but it takes, I have to see a lot of, you know, playtesting and stuff to see people of lower skill levels play it to understand that. Um, yeah, and it, it just, we just wanted players who, yeah, weren't like lifelong platformer players basically <laughs> to be able to enjoy it at their own pace and do it in a way that's like not condescending. Mm-hmm. Um, where like if the game's just a bit too fast for you, you can just turn it down to like ninety percent speed, and that's fine. Like, the game is completely the same in every other way. It's just a little bit slower, and that kind of stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah, I like how it's it's scalable that way, and because you can mm-hmm. also give yourself more air dashes, but because you can kind of choose the number, or like you said, you can choose exactly how fast it goes. You can, you know, maybe start off raining all that stuff way back, making it, you know, fairly easy. But then you can start taking those away one piece at a time and yeah. kind of slowly making yourself better. I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm a sucker for punishment. I even <laughs> if I'm banging my head against a, a level for like an hour, I, I refuse to turn them on. But then I have a seven-year-old son who comes in, and he likes he likes to watch me play this game. Mm-hmm. And I started turning on the assist, and I actually allowed him to play, and he was having a great time. That's and as awesome. he got better, I could see myself turning some of those back off again. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's perfect. That's like a really mm-hmm. good use case of assist mode is just being able to hear someone who you know hasn't been yeah hasn't been playing platformers forever, but can still have a lot of fun out of the game. Yeah. Um, by just slowing it down a little bit or turning various features on and off. Yeah. As mm-hmm. a designer, it's a bit painful at first to think about assist mode because it is like spent so many hours like fine-tuning these levels and then you just give the players the option to you know be invincible and run through it and it's like (laughs) part of me like cringes at first but then it's like actually you're you're improving people's enjoyment of the game right Mm because if if they can see it and they can like get through it and experience it like and and players know like assist mode tells you it's supposed to be challenging so we just have to trust the players will make the game like the right amount of challenge for them so that they can still enjoy it. Yeah, it's definitely a discussion of like, we want to make sure that people, uh, you know, understand the intention of the game and don't ruin it for themselves um, for, for players who are fully capable, but just turn it on immediately, which is why we, you know, we're so careful with the wording and the way that it's implemented is just making it very clear that, you know, this is something that you can use, but isn't necessarily like, you know, the first thing you should try. Yeah. I like the message you get too early on in the game about strawberries. It's kind of this calming message. It's just like you don't have to get these, you know, yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah, I have this problem when I play games where if there's extra collectibles or achievements or anything, I just have to get them. <laughs> like it's just yeah. like a compulsive part of my personality, even if it's making the game worse for me. Uh, and I think a lot of people struggle with that. So we wanted the strawberries to just be like, you know, only do these if they look fun to you. Like and I think that that works for a lot of people. Now, one of the other things in this game that really stood out to me was the music. The music is amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's this kind of, I w- you guys, I'm sure, can describe it better than me, but it's it's this cool synth kind of moody vibe that really kind of underscores a lot of the emotion that's going on in the game. And And there are some chapters where it just builds and builds, and it really starts to kind of add to the intensity, I think, of what the character's going through and also the challenge level. So, you know, what were you trying to kind of achieve with that? Yeah, uh, our composer, Elena Rain, she, um, she's incredible. She did like an amazing job. Uh, and she had pretty much free reign for a lot of it, for pretty much all of it. We, you know, give her feedback and stuff. Uh, but it was really her like baby, the music. Um, and yeah, <laughs> she just did an amazing job. There's a lot of places in the game where I would have like it sort of levels designed as just like white boxes with no uh, no real graphics yet, and uh, she would come in with the music, and it would just be like this incredible like fully realized <laughs> music for this chapter, and uh, that would really inform like the direction I went with the level design, where the art went. Um, yeah, there was other times where she was the last one to come in, but it was like, yeah. I think she, as a as a general principle, we try to like make sure that. You know, people like in their specific skill set kind of have control over what they want to do with it. So like giving her complete like control over the music and being like, take this where you think it should go was like really important. Yeah. Yeah. And we work with people who are very um, motivated and very like, yeah, self-driven. 
uh, and she had she had a very strong vision for the music that just really really clicked with the story and yeah really happy we worked with her yeah <laughs> <laughs> now now how big was the full team for this game I think um, there were six core members we'd say and then probably three well three to five other like collaborators yeah 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 there was like me and Matt working on the programming and Matt doing the game design stuff basically every day and then uh, Lena doing the music um, and then power up audio one main person from power up audio working kind of on the sound design every day and then the rest of his team helping and then our artists uh, Pedro Namora who did the art and then we had like other yeah, we had like Gabby who did the mountain 3D model yeah. and our friend Sven who uh, came in and did the lighting for the 3D model because we had no idea what we were doing with 3D stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and stuff like that, yeah. And this may be kind of a, a, a very broad question, but what's it, it like being an indie developer? It seems like indie games have come a, a long way in the last several years. Yeah, it's definitely changed a lot in the last several years too. Um, I don't know, I, I love it. I, <laughs> I mean... We have a pretty good, uh, like for us, it's going pretty well. Like we just get up and work on our own stuff and we have a lot of creative control and it's, yeah, it's been a really positive experience for us. Yeah, I think one of the huge things for me is just being able to work on the things that I'm excited about and not have to answer or do things that I am not that excited about. And I mean, with indie games, you still have to do things you're not always excited about, like bug fixing or, you know, things like that that aren't necessarily super fun. But in general, you can kind of, work it around the things that you like doing yeah um, and and you own your work and yeah. you're you know you're making something that you're passionate about the vision which i think is very important for anyone um yeah yeah it's definitely really exciting for us to just be able to do do the things that are you know that we're passionate about um on a daily basis and what was it like working with nintendo switch it was really good yeah um i mean we were super excited to get the game onto nintendo switch um, right, right from you know the beginning. Yeah. We're just big Nintendo fans. Yeah, we're huge you Nintendo know? fans. Uh, we actually thought we were hoping we could get the game out way earlier than we did um, because we were extremely more optimistic about uh, you know the game size and stuff. Um, because about our our schedule, basically. Yeah, our schedule was just not realistic. But we wanted it to be out you know as soon as possible on the Nintendo Switch because it was just we we were planning to be a launch title <laughs> we were hoping to be yeah. and that didn't <laughs> to give happen. you an idea of how badly we were scheduled <laughs> but we wanted to because we were so excited about you know the Nintendo Switch and having this game in like this really cool uh handheld environment yeah um it just felt like a perfect fit for us yeah the game Celeste always kind of felt like a Game Boy game to me like a Game Boy Advance game or something yeah obviously yeah. with a higher yeah. resolution and stuff but that's like kind of how I envisioned playing it uh so the Nintendo Switch just like yeah and like works perfectly that way I mean I I think it's true for both of us but having a game on a Nintendo console is definitely something that's like a childhood dream you know playing the Super Nintendo um Mm. and NES and the N64 and things like that growing up and being able to say like wow like we've made something that is on on a Nintendo thing is like yeah that's the same part of like my brain that gets excited about the Metacritic thing where it's like Zelda Mario Celeste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, before we go, speaking about, uh, you know, being Nintendo fans or just video game fans in general, I'm mm-hmm. going to put you guys on the spot and I'd love to hear what your, you know, let's say your top three favorite platformers of all time are not counting Celeste. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Celeste would be in my top three, but <laughs> uh, top is definitely Super Mario Brothers three. Um, and there's a lot of 
I don't know if you've if you've played through Celeste, you've probably seen some <laughs> some inspiration from it in there. Um, next would probably be Donkey Kong Country Two, and y- then Yoshi's Island. Yeah, Yoshi's Island is up there. <sighs> for me, for me, Yoshi's Island is really up there. That's your number one. It might be. Hmm. It is like. Yeah, I need to replay it again, but as a kid, it was definitely, like, yeah. my favorite platformer. Yeah, Yoshi's Island was the game that made me realize that human beings made games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, like, such a playful, colorful game. Yeah, it just looked like a kid drew it <laughs> in, like, mm-hmm. a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would you say there was any one game that, that made you guys want to get into making games, or was it more just mm. gaming in general? I think I, I don't remember a time where I didn't want to make games <laughs> it's just i didn't even realize it was possible until i played yoshi's island and yeah i think i think for me probably a link to the past and then was what made me start making games and then i think later cave story was what made me be like oh i actually i can i can actually do this like this is something that you know people can actually yeah do. cave story is made by one person so, yeah which is yeah. ridiculous mm-hmm. even still um but that was something that i played um, and it was like, I was already making games by them, but I was really like, oh, wow, people can actually like, you know, make yeah. their own things and make it can be your like career. Yeah, exactly. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm going to promise to do my best to 100% complete Celeste. <laughs> I don't know how long it's going to take me, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And I look forward to whatever your next game is. Awesome. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah, this is fun. That's it for this episode of Nintendo Power Podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank our guests, Reiko Ninomia, Tim O'Leary, Matt Thorson, and Noel Berry. And don't forget that you can help shape future episodes by letting us know what you thought of the episode and what you'd like to see. And if you have any questions, send them to us and we'll consider answering them on a future episode. You can email us at nintendopowerpodcast at noa.nintendo.com. Also, we always appreciate it if you can leave us a review. That helps us get discovered by more people. And be sure to subscribe so you always get the new episodes the moment they're done. Thanks for listening, and keep playing with power. 